there were many different ways we expected this season to start off. What we saw on Saturday was probably the last that any of us expected. BC loses to Rutgers 22-21 to in a game that ended as gut-wrenching as it sounds. We're going to get into this and a lot more on today's Locked On Boston College. You are Locked On Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked On Boston College. I am your host, AJ Black, and joined as always with me on Mondays is our good friend, Mitch Wolf. Mitch, how's it going? Normally, I have a pithy remark about the weekend or the week or of games at large, but we've got a lot to talk about, so I think we should dive right into it. All right. So, Mitch covered the game. Thank you on on Saturday. And Mitch, what's the first thing? We're, we're talking about a game that BC had in the bag at different points. They could just not put Rutgers away. What what happened? Talk about what's the first thing on your on your note list. The story of this game was that it was won and lost in the trenches. And essentially Rutgers won the battle in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And Boston College lost the battle of the trenches on both sides of the ball. Um, I was, I'll give BC's pass rush some credit. They were able to, I would say, kind of meet or maybe even exceed expectations but they weren't able to stop Rutgers run game which is what they leaned on especially deep into the fourth quarter and on the other side of the ball BC couldn't get any run game going due to a variety of reasons but mostly misassignments and they really struggled to pass protect and keep Phil Dracovic upright that's that that's really what this game boils down to uh, if you want to like you know have one side of the ball or all one right. one aspect of football all right well, let's let's start with one side of the ball let's look at the offensive line which was the biggest question mark heading into this season and i had said all along and i've made this point a few times since that all i asked them to be was serviceable and they clearly were not even close to that no Mm-mm. what happened what was it was it an was it an epidemic throughout all five guys or was it one particular guy that you noticed was struggling more or hot side of the field schematic, something, what was going on? So, there, Mitch? so, so far I, I'll need to watch it back again. I, like I watched it back again once just looking at the offense and I was just like charting kind of what the plays were using to kind of look at the offensive scheme. So I'll have to watch it again to see who kind of was the main culprit. But I, from what I remember and what I saw, like, pretty much everybody had a, a good collection of bad plays. You know, I you had Jack Conley commit two penalties. One was a holding one was an eligible man downfield. Um, I know Ozzy Chapillo gave up the final sack on Dracovic uh, in a one-on-one situation versus a three-man pass rush. Uh, Drew Kendall had a, uh, even aside from the messed up snap, had a few mistakes. Um, so you could really pin it on anybody. Um, so I, that's, I, you could argue that I would say that that's worse that like everybody was bad um, because there's really and like i said like it's a missed assignments it's in the run game it was just not attacking their blocks properly it was missed it was tons of missed assignments like i think that it's there was one play where i think the offensive line just didn't know what the play was because like bc ran the ball but a few of them kind of went out almost to go block for a screen um one time kendall almost like released up field and kind of just let two guys go by in the a gap like as if there was a screen and there definitely wasn't so you know, it's it's very strange, you know, to have a week one game where, you know, this team has been preparing this whole time and then the offensive line just completely makes all these mental mistakes. And granted, there are, there are some, you're going to expect some mental mistakes in week one. It's the first time you have live bullets, but 
so many mistakes, you know, I, I'm not, I, I don't want to say like the coach didn't have them prepared because that's just a ridiculous statement to say, oh, this team wasn't prepared for a week one game. Like you have the whole summer to prepare, but I'm not exactly sure why all those mistakes happened. You know, I, I, like I said, I think sometimes they got the play calls wrong. So I don't know if they're gonna have to change the way they, the way that plays are the terminology that's used or something, but that's something that's got to be corrected immediately. And it looked like to me, and maybe I, I only saw parts of it, but it looked like to me and, and, Dracovic and Halfley both acknowledged this, that they the, the pass protection, I mean, they had their mistakes in the first half, but it really fell apart the second half when Rutgers started blitzing more. Do you just see more and more um, mistakes up front as the, as the pressure from Rutgers intensified? Uh, it's tough to say. Um, I think you could attribute that to a number of things. Um, you know, BC, I don't think they really wanted to keep guys they didn't really want to keep the tight ends in to pass protect they kept the running backs in a decent bit um and there were mixed results there um so they might experiment with keeping the tight ends in more to help protect against uh you know extra blitzers um i think you did see just miscommunication along the offensive line like who's blocking who especially in a blitz situation where and this was something that gave bc trouble last year as well where you have a lot of guys lined up near the line of scrimmage and you don't really know who's blitzing and so you you know communicate one way and maybe one guy here mishears something when he makes a mistake or they just, you know, call it wrong. Like they think the blitz is coming from one side and it comes from the other. And that, that can happen sometimes, but for it to happen this much, um, you know, you have those problems. The other aspect is that, and this is something I was texting you about last night was that, you know, we, we did see a decent bit of quick game passing, um, mm-hmm. but probably less than we expect. And I think part of the reason for that is, you know, some people know this, some people don't, that when you go into any game, even a week one game, an offense, it doesn't have like the whole playbook open like you do in a like a football video game. You don't have like 400 plays at your disposal. You probably have about 100 at most uh, because that's just what you rep in the week and that's what you're prepared for. So what I think happened is that BC kind of exhausted their quick game early. And that's why kind of towards the end of the game, you saw them relying on these. And obviously a lot of times they had a long down distance to go. But a lot of times you saw them you know, having these extended dropbacks with play action attached to it sometimes. And at the end of the day, the offensive line just couldn't hold up. And I, I'm wondering if the reason why they couldn't hold up was because during the summer camp, you know, the defensive line, you know, maybe they were playing well against them. And so half of it was like, okay, like maybe they're going to be okay. But then when the live bullets started flying, they were just like, oh no, these guys aren't ready. So, you know, I'm again, like you've talked a lot about how we weren't able to be at practice. Uh, and, you know, maybe there was a good reason for that because, you know, if we had been in practice, we would have been reporting, hey, the offense line might look a little shaky to begin with, but I'm not sure. Yeah, and, and I said on um, – I just did a Twitter space a little while ago, and it was interesting. And I, I think I said it on this podcast that when I talk, when I had media day, you know, you talk to Jeff Halfley, and it's always roses, right? He'll, he'll, he'll sugarcoat it a little bit, but he'll always say, yeah, we're, we're doing – we're progressing. He does, the, he does a lot of coach speak, right? That's what he's supposed to do. He's not going to go out there and say we're – you know, bash his team. When I talked to coach Googs, I, I felt like I got a bit of a different answer about the state of the offensive line during media day. And he, he said to me, you know, we're still trying to figure things out. We try to figure out who goes where we we've got, a, we've got work to do. So to me, and especially he, he was being a little bit uh, uh, couching it too. I, I, I sensed when I talked to Googs that they weren't as far along as they wanted to be. That's just how he made it sound to me much more than what Halfley does. Cause Halfley, you know, he, he veils everything. Um, 
So it was interesting to hear him say that. Now I have a question. Now we're doing this live on YouTube for all of you. Thank you for listening. And we have two comments. I'll get to the second comment in a second. I don't know if Mitch can see him or not. Um, Daniel Keller wants to know, could have used a few more screens to combat the rush. What are your thoughts on that, Mitch? So, I mean, the one time they did it, it worked super well, right? Like that halfback screen to Garwo, perfect timing, perfect call. That worked great. Um, And again, I think this comes back to, you know, how many screens do you have installed in your game plan for that week? So, and again, it's not, it's not perfect. And, you know, some people are like, oh, just call more screens and draws. And like, it's not always the perfect solve that people think it is. Um, But you know, I, th- I agree. Like it would have been nice to see some more. Um, you see, there were some that were kind of worked into RPOs, which was, there were a lot more RPOs this year than I think any other BC year combined. Um, some of them ended up just being handoffs. So, you know, you had kind of have a screen design, but it's part of it's packaged with an RPO play. So you don't throw the screen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's something you're probably going to see a little bit more so you can slow down the pass rush and, you know, inspire the defense to blitz less i think you're gonna see that in the coming weeks with how and then finally our other comment as we head into our first commercial is from will jeffrey who calls us little brother mm-hmm. um you hadn't beaten us since 1995 so you can take your little brother and and uh go back to um new jersey with that uh thank you for your comments will and um so in a moment we're going to talk more about the defensive side of the ball uh, get into um what bc didn't do and is it fixable just like we talked about the offense but if you haven't tried built bars puffs yet you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys and guess what there's a new flavor ready delicious indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate that's right built has done it again let me introduce you to our new favorite cookie dough chunk puffs have a light and chewy texture Real cookie dough chunks, and of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All of the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it, plus it's healthy for you. Guess what? 160 calories with 15 packing grams of protein in them. You're going to get healthy. You're going to enjoy these. They are delicious. So go over to Built.com and get yourself the cookie dough chunk puff. Whether you need a snack for your workout, a late night treat, or just a need a grab a quick bite, Built is the perfect protein bar, and they taste better than a candy bar. Ditch the calories, fat, and sugar. Grab yourself a Built bar. And when you do, go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON15 and get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON15. Again, it's changed a little bit. It's LOCKEDON15 now, not LOCKED15. LOCKEDON15 at Built.com. AJ Black, Locked On Boston College here. We're talking about the uh, tough loss, very bad loss against Rutgers on Saturday, 22 to 21. If you've enjoyed uh, this podcast, head over to Eagle Insider. I'm the publisher there. And if you're listening right now, we have a special deal uh, to become a premium member. We've had some great premium insight. I've put pro football focus grades up for all the players. Um, have my, my notebooks. I have recruiting news. It's it's packed with stuff, including uh, national experts who who drop by our site to give us news that I don't even have. It's right now seventy five percent off. That means you're paying twenty five bucks for the entire year of access to Eagle Insider. So if you're listening right now, head over to eagleinsider.com, subscribe, and become a member now. Again, twenty five dollars, seventy five percent off. Check that out at Eagle Insider. All right, Mitch, let's go to the other side of the ball now. And let's look at the defense. It, that that last drive. Can we can we start there? What happened? So I think there's a really 
um, poignant quote from Halfley on that. Uh, he said, and this is, I'm reading the tweet from Andy Baxter, my friend over at uh, Rivals. Um, and he said, this is the quote from Halfley. They ran the same plays that we've been stopping all day. The first time I watched it, I saw it on the field. I was wondering if they did anything differently, but they didn't. They executed a higher level than we did. And that, at the end of the day, I, I agree with that assessment because, and granted, I don't think BC was having difficulty stop like in terms of like stopping for no gain and getting in the backfield on runs, but they weren't allowing as big of chunks as they were in the final drive. And essentially Rutgers just out executed them. I think part of it was that by the end of the game, the BC defense, even though they had been cycling guys in and out of the lineup, they were just tired. And Rutgers has a massive offensive line in terms of height, weight and everything. And at the end of the day, they were just moving BC off the ball easier than they were the rest of the day. And I think that's just because, they were they out like like Halfley said they had executed us and I think that that's something that a lot of people don't want to admit a lot of people want to you know blame coaches and I think that's because they don't want to blame the players which I can understand but you know you can coach all you want you can pair all you want but at the end of the day it's what happens between when when the ball is snapped and on that drive especially Rutgers offensive line was just stronger and better tougher whatever whatever you want to call it like that's just what it was so you know, they cycled in some guys and I'm one guy that I I'm looking back at and he's in the picture right now is Ty Clemens. He, they have him listed at 260 and they had him in at defensive tackle. Yeah, I found that odd as well given that I I there have been a lot of highlights from Clemens as a true edge rusher. I'm wondering if that weightlifting isn't I mean, he looks like lean. I'm wondering if that weightlifting is slightly inaccurate. Um but yeah, I mean, the defensive interiors listed are Chibuzi on Wuka, um, Cam Horsley, and Ty Clemens. So those are the only... Uh, and then uh, Quan Williams also got some reps mm-hmm. in there, I think. I thought I saw um, Chris Banks get in, but maybe I missed, saw the number. Uh, I, I remember you tweeting before the game that Nigel Tate was out, uh, or at least he wasn't dressed. They need him back ASAP because he's one of the only... I think he's the only defensive tackle on the roster that weighs more than 300 pounds. And, you know... I don't think Virginia Tech's offense is that explosive or, you know, good at running the ball or really good at anything, you know, and I know we can't say much about our offense after that performance, but they need a guy that can plug the middle against a uh, bigger offense lineman. So they need, if hopefully Nigel Tate, that was just a one week thing and he can get back in the lineup next week. Yeah. We'll have to ask Halfley about that one. He's, mm-hmm. he gave an update during the game, uh, during Sunday, uh, his press conference, uh, media availability, excuse me. Spencer Witter is has has been injured. He should be back soon. Again, when Halfley says they're coming back, I mean, take it with a grain of salt. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he says that, and sometimes they come back, and then sometimes they're out for the rest of the season. <laughs> um, and I'm not calling him a liar. I'm just saying things happen. Mm-hmm. And he did say he needs to still speak to the doctors a bunch about, about, about a bunch of things. So who knows? And then Alex Singfield has also been banged up. Uh, he was hurt during uh, training camp, and he is back. Um, but back to the game itself, we're, we're talking about this game. I mean, how you, you, you said earlier, it was, it's a battle in the trenches. It's a battle between, you know, the Rutgers line and BC's line. How much of like, how disheartening is it that Rutgers couldn't throw the ball at all and BC still couldn't stop them? Oh, I think that that's, that's gotta be killer. Like there's, you know, there's a reason why, all like the old head coaches are like, you got to establish the run and all that because like you at the end, you know, a lot of off the quote from Howard Mudd is who's a, I think he's deceased now, but he's you know one of the most famous offensive line coaches in football history. He says, there's nothing, there's no greater pleasure than taking a man from point A to point B against his will. And when an offensive line is run blocking, well, they just have all the momentum. Um, 
So I'm trying to figure out who exactly was playing for them, but in terms of the height, weight and everything, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's just, I mean, again, that's why they were able to win the game. I mean, BC secondary played pretty well. Like they weren't giving a lot of guys open looks, you know, receivers weren't open that much. Um, pass rush i thought played pretty well you know they got home they especially towards the like in the middle two quarters they got home on the quarterback a lot uh donovan Ezraku, this was coming out party had an amazing game uh i think he had nine ta- nine tackles eight solos two tackles for loss one sack and two forced fumbles so crazy game from him um but you know really just the interior of the defensive line wasn't able to hold up against Rutgers uh, offensive line and and again i don't think this is a prepared thing like because in terms of the Rutgers offense like this is a lot of the same stuff they ran last year. They were a, mostly a gap running team that ran up the middle. Like BC knew this was coming. Rutgers just out executed them. They just played better. Like that, that's all it is. So I, I guess this is a question on both sides of the ball. Maybe we get to this in a second. Like what would you, what would you like to see adjusted from BC to like fix some of this stuff? It's kind of a weird thing um, because I, th- I think what BC is trying, I think essentially what, what, what it boils down to is I think they're asking too much of their defensive tackles by asking them to either two gap or one and a half gap against offensive linemen, which is something that the Rams defense and Brandon Staley has done. And it's, it's essentially, it's an effort to play fewer defensive linemen so you can get more players in the coverage shell to prevent the pass and prevent our, get them in the second level two to prevent RPOs. And Probably against Rutgers, you probably should have abandoned that, but it's, you know, bygones, bygones. Um, and essentially, I want you'd want them to just try to get in the backfield and cause havoc. You know, more of the classic four down front. Like, think about, like, um, the Jimmy Johnson defenses for Miami back in the 80s. Like, just just shoot through the gap and go get, go, go just go make a mess in the backfield. Um, and, you know, maybe they don't trust their linebackers to, you know, cover the second level, but what they're doing didn't really work last year and it didn't really work this past weekend. So I think you just need to let the defensive line pin, like pin their ears back and just be aggressive, go get the running back, go get in the backfield as opposed to like kind of trying to hold the line against the um, offensive lineman. I think you want them to get in the backfield more. And, you know, I, I would say like, that's kind of a, it's a basic thing to do. And, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not a football coach, so, you know, I could be completely wrong, but that's, that's kind of what I, that's what I've seen. And that's kind of what I would prescribe. And who would you, who would you, if you were to start two defensive or edge rushers next week, who would you start? Well, edge rushers is, isn't really the problem. I think you still start Valdez because he's the leader and he's still a good player. Um, I think you probably at least, try, you know, I think you give Ezraku a shot um, just because of how well he played. You know, I think Salah had some nice plays, but it wasn't as consistent on the interior. That's really where it matters. I mean, I think like, I think you still go with Boozy and Horsley and because Boozy can hold the line a little better because it just he's so so short and stout he has that great natural leverage but Horsley is a true like three tech penetrator like he is so quick off the line and he's able to get in the backfield like I think if you just ask him to hey just just you know shoot through this gap and you know try to just get the offensive line off balance and be more aggressive instead of you know kind of passive I think that that could you know help the defensive line at least a little bit all right in a moment Mitch and I are going to wrap up some of our conversations I think it's going to be a two day for me and Mitch, but we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. We're back. This is locked on Boston college, AJ black. If you are listening to this right now on YouTube, hit that subscribe button on YouTube. I want to thank you all who have made locked on Boston college. Your first listen We're your first team every day. And I have a goal for our YouTube channel. I would like to see us get to 600 subscriptions 
by the start of the basketball season. We are at 450-ish right now, so I need 150 more. If you are listening to this and you have not subscribed yet, it's absolutely free. It helps us out tremendously. It helps support the podcast. Hit subscribe today. We want to get us to 650, and I'm going to give you updates throughout the week. So make sure – or 600. I want to get to 600 by the end of next week. Uh, not end of next week. Before the start of the basketball season. So, Mitch, one of the things I was going over when I was looking at pro football focus and looking at uh, the play of the of the team, obviously the offensive line was was porous. But what one uh, unit that really struggled was the linebacking group. It seemed. Did you notice them really struggling in, in the so, game? So, uh, so you know, I think a lot of people have issues with pro football focus in their grading system, and I think that that's completely fair. Um, and I think one of the bigger problems pro football focus's grading system has is it is it is very harsh on linebackers. Um, like I'm, I'm looking at the grades now as well. Um, I see Cam Arnold had a grade of 49.2, uh, mostly driven down by his coverage grade. Um, let me see. Where's sorry. Okay. Vinny De Palma, uh, 54.9 with mostly average grades across the board, except for tackling, which was very good. Uh, Jalen Blackwell, 60.4 aided by a grid pastor's grade because of his pursuit sack. Yeah. So I don't, again, I think, I think PFF's, grading system for linebackers is tough because it, it just for a variety of reasons it's just because of the formula of how they grade things um so i wouldn't read too much into that honestly okay i i was just asking from someone watching no it's fair I, I it, 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 it's go ahead i was gonna say i because i thought jalen blackwell looked good at times um and... yeah i need to go back and watch the defense more closely and ideally get small 22 film but yeah i mean i saw the splash play where he chased down Wimsett for the sack on third and goal from the 40 or whatever. Um, but other than that, I couldn't really get, it. he only played 15 snaps actually. So I'll have yeah. to see you. Um, oh, and then Bryce Steele. Yeah. Bryce Steele's grade was not good. I had a really bad run defense grade, but again, like it, it's, it's honest. If you're a linebacker, it's very tough to get a good run defense grade, unless you're like blitzing and making tons of tackle for losses. So, you know, it, it's hard. It's, I think it's difficult for them to grade like, Oh, he was disciplined and stayed in his gap, but like didn't actually make a play on the ball. Essentially. That's kind of what I've gleaned from their grading system. All right. And was there something else that you wanted to bring up for this game? Yeah. So I have seen a lot of people get in the coaching and I think that that's fair to a point, but so, uh, you know, people are complaining about the decision to take a timeout and punt on fourth and 25. And frankly, at that point in the game, I don't think it really mattered what they did. Um, Halfley had a good quote about it. Um, and essentially they, they did think about, Going for it, they thought they had maybe one play that would work. But again, this is a situation where it's like, how many plays do you have in your in your game plan that can pick up fourth and twenty five when your offensive line can barely protect the quarterback? And you know, say, oh, maybe you get a penalty. It's like that's still. I I think that at that point, the win probabilities of either are essentially like the change in win probability for either decision is essentially negligible. Like it was pretty much a foregone conclusion at that point after that sack. Um, so I, I don't really care about that. I think some people are like, oh, like he used some of his timeouts too early. It's like, and I, I know one was because it was a weird special teams play where neither team knew what they were doing. So they had to take a timeout. Um, it might've been actually the one where Phil got knocked out for a, a play. I can't remember exactly, but you know, I, and I think people have every right to be frustrated with the coaches and the team for losing this game. Um, but I think just being like, oh, like, 
this is the most disastrous loss in program history. All this, you know, kind of hyperbole. I think, you know, I think it is a bad loss. I, I can't defend that whatsoever. And, and, but Rutgers was the better team on the field. And even though they had all those penalties, they had turnovers, they were playing three quarterbacks um, and not even their returning starter. But I, I think that I, I think, I think people don't want to criticize the players as much because they're people, they're qualified as kids. And I respect that. But, you know, at some point you do have to criticize the play of the people on the field because that's what determines the outcome of the game at the end of the day, in my opinion. All right. So you're not on the fire Halfley bandwagon yet? No, I'm not. And, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm just not. I think, I mean, I think that the, if you want to talk worst losses program history, like let's just go back to Kansas in 2019 when, you know, say what you will about like, like, yes, they lost to Rutgers. They lost to Rutgers by one point on one drive where Rutgers played that because they had that one big drive. Kansas came into the alumni stadium and beat the crap out of BC. And it was that, that like, for me, that's the worst loss in program history, at least it, since I've been a fan. So, um, you know, I think that this is not a good loss. I think, I think you and I, you know, I think I can say this, we both underestimated Rutgers ability. Yep. Um, and I think we'll own that. Uh, but I, you know, maybe this record team is going to be better than we think they are. Obviously their historical record is not very good, but I think, we underestimated them. I, I really don't think the coaches did because of how well they knew this team and the, the coach across them. But at the end of the day, the master defeated the student. Yep, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it was, it, and I, I don't want this lost on this. This was, a, this was a bad loss. Yeah, was, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I'm just not throwing myself off the Tobin bridge off of this yet because like I, you know, following Boston college, as long as I have, you know, you mentioned Kansas, I sat through, that Wake Forest game in 2015, three nothing. I, I mean, you want to talk about bad loss? I, I'm, I'm going to go back even further. 2012 against Army, a, game, a team that had lost to Stony Brook the week before, mm-hmm. went down and BC could not get off the field. They, I think they went up 56 points in that game. Mm-hmm. Way worse than this one. So that's where I'm at. It's still a, it's still a cruddy loss. So Mitch, we're going to see you again tomorrow because we still have more to talk about, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, we do. <laughs> All right. So if we hadn't brought up something now, leave it in the comment section. We'll talk about it again tomorrow. Um, and if you, again, if you are listening to this and you uh, have not subscribed on Eagle Insider, 75% off, $25 for the year right now. Just go in, hit that like button. I mean, hit, sorry, hit that subscribe button on, on Eagle Insider. Join up. It's a great deal. You're going to get a lot of good information. And on YouTube, we're driving for 600 make sure that you hit the subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Mitch, where can people find you? You can find me at Mitchell T. Wolf, W-O-L-F-E. Uh, I'll have my three stars of the game. Um, they should be pretty obvious, honestly. I uh, should probably have that come out tomorrow for your Labor Day reading. Um, I'm going to start a new series, especially for losses, where it's essentially I rewatch the game so you don't have to, where I'll kind of rewatch the game at least at least a few times and kind of get my observations out there. Um, the, fun, the funny thing about this game is there is just so much to talk about because – and the big reason why is because essentially the questions that we had about this team, they were answered and in the worst way possible, like offensive line, we have questions, offensive lines, bad. Can this team stop the run this year so far? No, they can't. So, you know, we got answers and unfortunately the answers are not good. So we have a lot to talk about. All right. So Mitch will be back with us tomorrow and we'll be talking more about this game before we start to get into uh, the Virginia tech uh, preview. We'll also get Mitch's predictions on to, uh, tomorrow's show for the Virginia tech. I'm guessing he's not going to pick Virginia tech to lose by 28 in this one. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. So thank you, Mitch. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you again soon. Take care, everyone.